If you will, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. Many of you know that of my fondness towards uh, the book Pilgrim's Progress. And um, there's a portion in there where, where Christian and Hopeful are, they, they, are, they find themselves, they're on the path. Um, just so, I'll, I'll give you a little, little brief explanation of the book in case you don't know. It, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress was written by John Bunyan in the 1600s. And it is an allegory of the Christian life. So uh, what you have, the main character there, his name is Christian. And as he goes, he is supposed to stay on the way. He's supposed to stay on the narrow path. We know the uh, connection there. Um, but we're, he's supposed to stay on the narrow path. And, and things come and, and, and he, he thinks he can go here. He thinks he can go there. And he always finds difficulty. And he's always reminded throughout the, the entirety of it is go back to the path. Stay on the path. Um, but there's one portion where Christian and, and hopeful, that they find themselves on the path, but they find the path difficult. Their feet are tender from the, the journey. They, they are tired of walking on the rocks. And then Christian looks and he sees a meadow. And he thinks that if, I, if we can just go there, our, our way will be easier. It even follows the path. So we can achieve the same result if we go this way, and it'll be easier on us. So they do. And as they go, they find themselves eventually in a place called Doubting Castle. Captive by giant despair. You know, as we, we sang the song before the throne of God above, we, we sang a portion that says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within. You know, that, that is one of the ways that, that Satan comes at us is, is through despair and discouragement and doubt. Okay? What are we doubting? That's the question we've got to ask. What, what did Christian and hopeful doubt? Well, probably more if you know the book. There's more Christian doubting than hopeful. Um, but anyway, there's a little bit of submissiveness going on there. But anyway, he doubted the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord said to stay on the narrow path. Instead, they think they can go their own way and over here. And they find themselves in a place of doubt and being held captive by despair. It's not much different than where we're at here in, in Genesis 16. So I'll ask that you stand as we read Genesis 16 in honor of the word of the Lord. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. 
And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore... The well was called Bir Laharoi, lies between Kadesh and Beard. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Dear Father, we pray that you bless the reading and teaching of your word now. God, be honored in all we do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we begin here with, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Okay? This should not be, if we have read through Genesis, this should not be a shock to us. Because at the point at which we see Sarah come into the picture, it says that she was barren. Okay? So by, the, by this, we, we understand that, that Sarah, the Lord just wasn't allowing her to have children at this point. Okay? So she was barren. So why is that significant? Why is that first phrase there, had borne him no children? Why is that significant? Because of a promise, right? Because of a promise from the Lord. The Lord told Abram that he would make him to a great nation. Well, for Abram to be made into a great nation, that means Abram would have to have some form of a lineage, right? Okay? So, there is a promise there. A promise of, of children, a promise of land, a promise of a nation. Up until this point, there was no Israelite nation. There was no God's people as far as in, in the chosen, chosen ones there. Uh, now we do see the line of Seth going on, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit, but... but Abram is the one God makes a covenant with, and, and we're sitting there, and time has passed since this. Time has passed, and Sarah is starting to look around and say, you know, there's this promise that, that this nation's going to come, and not only is this promise going to come, but the nations will be blessed by Abram and his lineage. So she's sitting here, and, and this promise is happening what does she do? 
she starts to say, you know, I'm starting to wonder if that's true. I'm starting to wonder if that's even going to happen. So I tell you what, I can, I, can, I can maybe figure this out for the Lord. She says, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to veer off just a little bit for just a small portion. I have a little bit of speculation on my own. This is not, you know, this is, this is on me. Um, so if it's wrong, it's on me. Um, but I'm, I, I, I ask questions when I read. I, I ask questions and I try to find answers. But my, one of my questions was, where does Hagar even come from? Where, how does she get into the picture? You know, um, I think it's very important that the Lord put an Egyptian servant. All right, so if we look previously, where were, ask ourselves questions, where were Abraham and, and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah? They, they were previously in Egypt, okay? If you remember, that was where Abram said, hey, this is my sister. It's not my wife, this is my sister. And then we see all oh, that debacle that happened because of that okay so but in that there was there was things that were given to to Abram servants of different genders and all that so I kind of there's a little bit of my curiosity to wonder that that that's maybe where Hagar comes from okay is through basically through that lie (laughs) okay so Hagar is in the picture so Sarah gets to the point and she says that you know, if, with my servant, we could have a, a child through, Abram could have a child through that, and we could check quite a few of the boxes off, okay? In a little bit, we'll read that she actually gives Hagar to Abram as a wife, all right? So we could check that box. In this time, in this culture, it's not necessarily that uncommon for this to happen. That the, the patriarch of the family has children from some of the servants and things like that. There's, and, and even in, with Sarah, she can, she can have that, we'll call it ownership there, because her servant had a child. So Sarah has set out to get the results of a holy, godly promise through human means. She says, I'm going to take what humanity deems okay. I'm going to take what seems practical. And I'm going to achieve the, the, the holy. I'm going to achieve this result. Sarah's looking at results here. She's trying to do the same thing that was in the promise, but not in the way that God promised it. Hagar's not the one that God said would, would bear the child, would bear the son. Sarah was. So, she comes up with this plan. She approaches Abram with her plan. Behold, now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So, she's come up with this, these human means. Just to stop here for a little bit of application. I was actually listening to a a sermon on this a few weeks ago on chapter 16. Uh, pastor was, um, I'm going to mess his last name up, but it was uh, Sam Amadi. Um, give it that. He was uh, preaching at chapel at a Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, he, uh, 
he was he was doing this, and and one of the things when he stopped here, uh, I'm going to use his um uh, his phrase in a minute, but he started talking about the ways that we try to achieve godly things through human means, and he talked about ministry. He talked about how we try to manipulate ministry in order to maybe it's get people in the door maybe it's even and we'll talk a little bit even it's in assurance of salvation but the statement he made was he's and, and I'm kind of putting two two together here he says we can't fulfill promises of God through ministerial creativity the very best that we can muster up is an Ishmael and we'll see the importance of Ishmael in a minute so basically what he's saying there is the very best we can do is Ishmael. Now, so I got to thinking, I was like, you know, there, the, we, we do that a lot. We come up with all these programs, we come up with all these things that seem creative. They seem like they're going to fit and people are going to love them. And they may for a time and then they want something different. You know what lasts? growth through the gospel the gospel message is the only thing that's promised to last that's the only thing we're given we're given that to do what to build the church of God that's the only way when you think about church membership the only way that you become a member of the church of the Lord is through salvation the only way so why do we think as humans that we can come up with this creative way to build the church of the Lord when he says that's not how it's going to go? It's going to go through the gospel message being preached. Okay? So another way that I thought as I was thinking about his statement that we, uh, that we do that is through the preaching time. If you'll listen to a lot of, of, of preachers, Pastors, they use emotional manipulation to get people maybe to come forward or get people to, to make decisions that they have no clue what they're doing. They have no clue the, the eternal implications of what's happening. The reason I say internal implications, you say, well, they're making a profession of Jesus. No, they don't, they, they don't even understand the gospel. But you know what he's done? is he's made them to go through X, Y, and Z, maybe gone through baptismal waters, maybe even put his name, their name on the church roll, all these things. And as that individual grows and that individual gets older, and they start to wonder about their own salvation, and they start to doubt and say, you know, has the Lord really saved me? You know what they end up going back to? Well, I was baptized, and I joined that church, that one event in my life. I look back at that, and, and, and that's what it, You notice when he says, oh, well, I was baptized. He didn't say, I gave my life to the Lord. The Lord saved me. He called me out of sin. He gave me life, though I was dead. That wasn't the phrase. It was, I was baptized. So, even though those are ordinances that God has established we're trying to achieve salvation through human means. I'm going to go through X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to get there. 
When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. We can't get there through checking those boxes. We can't get there through devotion here. What I mean by here, we can't get there through devotion to the church. The gospel's the only way. So that's another way that we try to achieve godly promises through human means. Through emotional manipulation. So as I, got, I just was thinking about that and, and thinking about this scenario, how that plays out in, in our lives. And, and, and that's, that's where Sarah was. She come up with this, this plan. She approaches Abram. And this is the point where, where Abram, Abram fails. He says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. He listened to the voice of Sarai, not the voice of the Lord. He listened to the voice of his wife, not the voice of the Lord. Because the voice of the Lord says that the nation's coming through Sarai, not through Hagar. So, he goes on. So, after Abram lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to her, 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 Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Okay, so now, the plan has gone through. The plan has been successful in Sarah's, in Sarah's mind. Okay? And this is a point that I, I kind of start asking some questions, too. And we'll, we'll answer those in a little bit. But it's interesting, the giver of life allows conception to happen. Conception doesn't happen apart from the hand of the Lord. Okay, so he allows that to happen, and we'll, we'll talk about a little bit about that in a little bit. But the plan works. All is achieved. Sarah should seem like a genius at this point, right? But then, it says, when she saw that she, con- she had conceived, she looked with, on me with contempt. She looked on me with contempt. There was turmoil in the house of Abram. Why? They didn't listen to the Lord. All too often, we don't listen. The Bible teaches us truth. The Bible tells us how to live. And we don't listen. We try to do it this way to achieve the same result. And what do we find? We find turmoil. I think back through Proverbs and, and all of the wisdom that Solomon gives us with business. We look through there and, and it, it's laid out there. Ways that we treat people. The ways that, like, I think about the one that talks about the scales being balanced. Having good scales, accurate scales. Inaccurate scales are an abomination to the Lord. Okay, meaning you're stealing money, basically. On a false truth. And it never ends well. Think through your life when you know this is not what the Lord would have you do. And you do it anyway. It never ends well. So, we see contempt in the house of Abram. Now, we got to think about Hagar here. What's happened with Hagar? Why is she looking on Sarai with contempt? The servant 
has not only gone to equality in some, in some eyes, but actually a step ahead. She's a wife at this point. She, is, <coughs> she has provided an heir to, to Abram. So in her mind, she's done what Sarai couldn't. She's been a better wife than Sarai. So we can easily see the contempt there. We forgot the purpose. We forgot the intention. No, this has been achieved. I'm, I'm, I'm here. So, <coughs> how, how do they handle it? But Abram said to Sarah, <coughs> Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Basically, he says, it's not my problem. You deal with it. Go. This was your idea. Go. Deal with it. So she does. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. We see the fleeing Hagar here. She flees. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a, sp- by a spring of water in the wilderness. <coughs> the spring on the way to Shur. So... Just like Christian and Hopeful, they, they find themselves in, in Doubting Castle. They thought the way was going to be easy. They thought the way they was going to get to achieve the same results. But then they find themselves captive there. They find themselves captive. They find themselves looking for an answer. We see Hagar, she flees. Sarah, there's still contempt there. There's, there's things have gone away. The plan's gone. Hagar's gone. The child's gone. Everything is in disarray now. And she's head, she says she, on the spring, on the way to Shur. Now, when you do a little research and find out where that's at, that's headed towards Egypt. So where's Hagar, Hagar headed? She's headed home. Okay? That's another reason why I kind of wanted to put those two together was Hagar's headed home she's look I've had enough of this I'm gone so she heads home then the angel of the Lord finds her Hagar's servant of Sarah where have you come from and where are you going she said I am fleeing from my mistress Sarah the angel of the Lord said to her return to your mistress and submit to her just as a little side note, I thought it was very interesting, the consistency of the Lord there. How many times in, in leadership ways does he say, submit? Church, submit to your elders. Wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to, you know, your employers, those kind of things. There's that act of submission there. Submit to the Lord, the big one, you know. It's just interesting that, that there's that consistency of the Lord there, even in, in this Weird situation. He says, go back and submit to, submit to Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. So at this point, I asked another question. <clears throat> I said, why Ishmael? The plan was not, the plan was, was to come, was Isaac. 
The plan was Isaac. Why Ishmael? The giver of life allows this to happen. And then I was reminded by James Montgomery Boyce's explanation of, of the relationship between God and, and sin. The way he explained it was he said that you can, if you go to a jeweler, and that jeweler has a diamond there. And that diamond is, is ever precious. It's glorious in its own right. But if you take that diamond and you lay it on the black mat that's there. All the glories of that diamond shine. Every little detail of that diamond shines. And that, that's the way he answered the question. Why, why did God allow sin to happen? Why, why did he allow that? It's because it shows, it, it makes his glory, it makes him shine ever more brighter. It's just the way he, he designed this to happen. So I asked myself, why Ishmael? Isaac's the one. Why Ishmael? Why? The Lord could have just not let conception happen. But Ishmael is the black mat at which Isaac is laid. Why? It's not Isaac, though. It's the one that comes from Isaac. It's Jesus. Jesus is the plan all along. He is to come through the lineage of Isaac. He is because from Isaac comes David. From David eventually comes Jesus. That's the plan all along. But if you'll notice how the Lord does this, is in the choosing of Isaac, there's the Ishmael. In the choosing of Jacob, there's Esau. In the choosing of Seth, there's Cain. So we see all of the glories that the Lord does through fulfilling His promises in those chosen people when it's laid against these others. Now, there are some other implications. It's not just a totally clear line between the two because we see Abram being a father of many nations and it is through these nations of, of Ishmael and all these things that, that we, we see him calling a lot to himself. But we see in that choosing there, we see that we see particularly Isaac. So Ishmael says, you will call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your afflictions. Even when the plan doesn't go well, even when the plan is not the Lord's, the Lord still uses the plans. He used Pharaoh. He could have easily sent all ten plagues all at one time, and Pharaoh said, look, this is enough, I'm done. Get out, get, y'all get out of here. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want you out here. I don't want your stuff. Get. But instead, through Pharaoh's callousness, more of the glory of the Lord is shined through His power. Through His determining. So, we see that, but we see that, this contrast here. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, he, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. There's turmoil there. There's continual turmoil inside of this because of Ishmael. For all the days of Ishmael, there's turmoil. Okay? But it is the ones that God calls to Himself are the ones that Abraham is the father of. So there's turmoil there. So, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. 
For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laharoi, and it lies between Kadesh and Beard. Then Hagar bears the son, and Abram calls him, Hagar, uh, calls him Ishmael. So we see this continuum, and we, see, we know that Isaac is coming. But, you know, in, in the story of, uh, in the story of, of, of Christian and Hopeful, think back to how they got out. It was the key of promise, Right? The promise that the Lord had made to them that if you stay on the narrow way, you will reach the celestial city. Even though Ishmael comes into the picture, even though God shows favor to Hagar because of all of this, Isaac is still there. The promise is still coming. The promise is still there because through Isaac comes the promised salvation. Comes Jesus. You know what that key of promise does? It got them out of Doubting Castle. It got them out of the, uh, being captive by giant despair. That's what the gospel does. The gospel releases us from imprisonment of sin, enslavement of sin. It gives us, gives us life. We trust in the promise. We stay faithful to the promise. We believe in the promise. You know, as, as Christian and hopeful continue, they, they stay on the way and then they, they reach, they, they reach the, the end. They can see the celestial city. But there's one more thing they still have to do. They still have to go through death. Still have to go through death. The way was never easy. In fact, the way was very difficult. It was narrow. It led you between lines. It led you up steep hills. It led you all those. But the promise led to the celestial city. As, and they're standing on the, on the shore and, and they can't find a way around. They have to go through. But on the other side is everlasting life. And there's a phrase there that, that, that Hopeful says that, that, that is, has kind of rung in my ear, especially here as, as of late. But Christian gets to the point and he's, the waves are there and he's, he's, he's doubting again. He's like, look, I can't make it. I can't do it. And he grabs Hopeful's hand and Hopeful says, I feel the bottom and it's solid. That even through death, even through that, the promise of life everlasting, the promise of, of the Father is still solid. The ground is still there. When all the circumstances seem like this can't get any better, this can't be right. The ground is still solid under our feet because we stay on the path. Now through this that we've, we've went through today that, 
this text that we went through today, we, we see all these things that we've highlighted. But the one thing that continually comes back to my mind is that even when all of this happens, the Lord's promise is still going to be completed. So I want to remind, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you in that. Trust in the Word of God. I know that seems simple, and that may even seem elementary to you. But let me tell you when it's not elementary. is when you're, when you're standing at a point to where it looks easy over here and it looks difficult over here. That's when it gets difficult to say, I trust in the Lord. Because our flesh tells us, go the easy path. You've been through all this already, go this way. But we continue and stay on the rocky path. And we continue to stay on the narrow path. Because the promise is still there. And he sees and hears you the whole way. I was worried today that I would be... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm flirting between preaching uh, Pilgrim's Progress and preaching God's Word. Um, but... Uh, but one of the, th- one of the things that, that you see in the, in the overarching of, of the book is, is that all along, the fa- all along the path when difficult things happen, there's, there's people there that the Lord, that the king has placed. You see help at the beginning. You know, you see evangelists throughout there. The, these people there that help. These people there that, that point back. Why? Why are they there? Because the king knows. The king knows that those places are there. The king knows that you're going to find yourselves there. The king knew where Hagar was. The king saw her difficulty. The king saw all that. And the king meets her. The king knows exactly where you are. Your life is as particular to you as anything else in this world. But he knows exactly where you are. He hears you. He loves you. And he's calling you to his promise. He's calling you to stay on the narrow way. And if you don't know the king, please today let let me share with you who the king is. The king is one that you are an enemy of. The king is one that though you're an enemy, will call you out of death and give you life. When you are against him 100%, he'll call you to himself. The king is good. He's a good king. He calls you to himself. And not only does he call you to himself to rescue out of your, your maybe your, your, your daily situation. He calls, him to yourself, he calls you to Himself to make you a child of His, an heir. He offers you rescue. He offers you relief from everything that sin has entangled you in. He offers to take the wrath of God on that sin because, mind you, that sin absolutely will experience the wrath of God. Because if he was to just wipe it away without any payment, he would not be God. He would not be just. But he is 100% just. 
So that sin payment is found on the back of Jesus. The king takes that wrath for you. The king takes that and he satisfies the wrath of God so that you can stand before the Lord covered in his righteousness. You are given the righteousness of God. Think about that. You are given the righteousness of the Holy One. There is no one better. There is no one holier. There is no one greater. That's the righteousness that you have been covered in. You can stand before the Lord confident then. Not confident in your own self, but confident in that, the, that Jesus has satisfied your sin debt and has given you life. You can stand before Him and call Him Father. And there's a relationship that He is offering you. Here a few weeks ago, I saw a quote from Timothy Keller that said, only a child would, would wake up, I'm, I may mess it up, but only a child would wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water. You know why? Because he's a child of the king. So that's the relationship that's offered. That's the relationship that he's calling you to. This is not some kind of secondary thing to where you're here for a minute and then you're pushed over here just to kind of exist. No, he's calling you into, into himself, into his family, and to be heirs and to experience eternal life. That's the promise. You may stand on the shore of death, but the celestial city, the promise that the eternal life is on the other side. And it's guaranteed for you. He gives us a guarantee and given us the Holy Spirit. And He guarantees that for us. Have confidence in that believer. Trust in the Word. Trust in the promise. But you can trust in Him. If you, if you don't know Him today, you can trust in Him. And I'm not going to say that your life's going to be easy from here on out. But I will promise you this. He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. Because He sees where you are. He hears the prayers of His children. And He will keep you all the way to the rest everlasting. Let's pray. Dear Father, we, we thank you for all that you have promised us. It's hard for our human minds to, comp to comprehend sometimes because our minds are stained with sin. But you are ever renewing them. God, help us to have more confidence in you. Help us to have more trust in you. And help us to, to take your word for what it says. 
The gospel is the power to save. The gospel is what you grow your church with. The gospel is how you build the kingdom. God, we're servants of the king, but also we're children of the king. You are a good king. Thank you for loving us. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dudley.